Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. We're starting a new series called Making Money Moves. Look at your neighbor and say, Making Money Moves. Making money moves. We're, this whole month of March, um, we're going to be talking about money, making money moves. And we're not going to, I want to preface you guys now, we're not going to be talking about uh, how much you could possibly give to the church <laughs> without uh, going broke. We're not, it's not that at all. Um, even today, we're going to uh, talk really practical about stewardship, budgeting, things like that. Um, really useful tips and, and things that the Bible gives us on how to handle money. Biblically, um, we're even going to throughout the month, we're going to talk about other things like false teachings about money, um, warnings about money when it comes to uh, people talking about it. Um, it's uh, money is a sensitive subject. I mean, everybody gets funny when you talk about money, right? Um, and, <laughs> amen. There we go. And so as we get started, today's specific message is uh, I want to start with a question. And that question is. Do you think that we're controlled by money? Do you think we are controlled by money? Yes. Yes? Think about what, why do we have a job for money, right? We, why do we do everything that we do is partly for money? We take jobs. We turn jobs down. We even, do, we even take jobs that we hate. Think about a job that you've had that you've hated before, but you kept it because of the money. But does it really mean that we're controlled by money? Maybe, maybe not. But today we're talking, the, the message is titled, Don't Be a Tool. Don't be a tool. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a tool. So, for the longest time, I always wondered, what does that really mean? I mean, it could mean multiple things, but if you look at the Urban Dictionary, <laughs> being a tool is one who lacks the mental capacity to know he or she is being used. That's one definition Someone that doesn't realize they're being used. Talking about not being a tool. Don't be a tool. Don't let money use you. We're supposed to use money. Or it could be someone willing to do anything told as long as it involves money or leisurely conveniences. To solely benefit this person with disregards to principles and moral beliefs. Doing anything for money even if it goes against your morals. Someone that will do anything to the greatest convenience when no other option applies will also rely on the opinions and beliefs with no regard to their own opinion and belief. You don't even know that, that, that being a tool was so deep, right? It also means some other derogatory terms that I wouldn't feel comfortable saying in church. But we're only looking at these urban dictionary definitions. So I want to start off with this scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 6. It says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if you have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Take special note that says the love of money 
is the root of all evil. It doesn't say money itself, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Today's first point is like no one else. Look at your neighbor and say like no one else. As Christians, we want to look at money like no one else. We want to look at it in a specific way, the way the Bible says. And money is a tool, but when we make it our end goal, we become the fool. Money is a tool, but when we make it our end goal, we become the fool. The love of money is the root of evil. And that's why it's so important for us uh, to learn how to be good stewards of it while at the same time not being afraid uh, too afraid to where we run away from it so this idea that money is a tool i want us to all get on the same page when it comes to money the love of money is the root of all evil we know that in the bible but money is also a tool that we need to survive as you at the beginning if you think we're controlled by money and it depends on what our motives are when sometimes our motives are literally just to get money so that we could feel more comfortable and secure, right? Everyone wants financial security. Sometimes we, we do it just to get more stuff. See, the, the motives of what we want to do with that, motive, uh, with that money is what can be, uh, what, what we can dictate whether or not it's really controlling us or not. But this idea that there's this, this, this idea or teaching, this philosophy out there that Christians should not be wealthy, that Christians should be these poor, poverty people, um, and that we should never, anyone, any Christian that's rich is, is a, a liar, or a blasphemer, or a cheat. <laughs> it's not true. Uh, a, there's a lot of godly people in the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that were wealthy, and God used them. Even the, the person that purchased Jesus' tomb, that Jesus borrowed for three days, is purchased by a wealthy man. A rich person bought the tomb. And so this idea that being rich is evil is just not true. Jesus, whenever he talks about money and be, like warning against it, he's simply implying that the love of money is the root of all evil. That we should care more about God being our provider than, than money being this, this security for us. Because money comes and goes. And so this idea that money and Christianity doesn't mix is just not true. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And that, in fact, when we start learning about money, money if we were to look at money as not being just this, this end goal, money is not the goal in Christianity. It's a tool. All right? And if we look at money being a tool, it's like a mechanic and his tools. Sometimes when we think about money, uh, we, we usually just spend it on whatever we need right then and there. But... When we start using wisdom for money and start looking at how we use it to, to better uh, our situations rather than just to fix our situations, it's, if we were to just use money to, to fix all of our problems and the moment we get money, we, we use it for this or that, it's like a mechanic that goes to the pawn shop and sells all of his tools and, and uses the money to pay his bills. There's sometimes where you have to use your money to work for you in different ways. And so talking about wisdom, uh, you, we have to start looking at money being a tool rather than just a, uh, an end to a means. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Can I give y'all a, a simple example that like in my life? So for me, 
those of y'all who don't know, I started driving for Uber and Lyft to make up some extra dough the last couple weeks. I needed a lot of extra dough, especially moving to this new location. And so in order to do that, I had to, uh, I had to do, use like, I had to spend like $200 in order to get, uh, there's a moment that was like, all I had was like 200 bucks. All right, being a, a pastor is not a lavish life. So it's not, it, not every pastor is a Joel Olstein, okay? <laughs> but I only had like 200 bucks and I ended up using that 200 bucks. Instead of paying uh, the bills that were due, I had to use it uh, to, to get like my registration and insurance for my car so that I could use that as a tool to be able to make another source of income. And so the, the way that looks in a bigger scale is sometimes you're using money as a tool to uh, once you start looking at properties to purchase or uh, investment accounts and, and uh, like different investment options or even things that you need for a job rather than just using money as the end game. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Sometimes you just need to use money as a tool. All right. You can't just take all of your tools to the pawn shop to pay your bills. Then you're not going to have anything left. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 11 through 12, is wisdom is even better when you have money. Both are benefit as you go through life, but wisdom and money can get you almost anything. But only wisdom can save your life. So the Bible is showing us that, like, the, you, you ever thought, like, well, they just got, they, they just got to that position because they have money. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's a, that, that kind of uh, law is even found in the Bible. The Bible is saying like people who have money can get almost anything. But wisdom is the only thing that can save your life. There's a lot of rich, dumb people. There's a lot of uh, people that were, were given money growing up. They just had it and they still ruined their lives because they didn't have wisdom. But when you, when you, it's saying that wisdom is best and that when you're able to all of a sudden start using money and efforts with your wisdom... All of a sudden, you'll, you'll be able to go so much farther than before. And so, again, the Bible is saying money is helpful in life. It's not something that we need to run away from, but that we still need to use God's wisdom in handling it. And at the end of the day, wisdom will save our life opposed to just thinking that money will fix all of our problems. Y'all feel me? And so, moving on. Money will trick you into thinking that your value and worth is summed up in money itself. And that pride will lead you to comparing yourself with others by your stuff. And so this idea, there's this, it, money is so tricky. If you notice that when you, when you feel like just financially secure, you feel great. But the moment that you feel like you go through a rough spot, you get broke, all of a sudden you feel like, man, I'm a loser. Yeah. You all of a sudden feel like your worth is diminished. Just because of your bank account. And see, money will trick us into thinking life is like that when it's simply not. Do, uh, that's how the world thinks. The world thinks that your money determines your value and your worth. The Bible says different. Your, your value and your worth is found in Christ. And when this point, thinking about how we need to think like no one else, we have to stop com- uh, looking at our worth and money and our things. Uh, I mean, have you ever had a friend before that bought a new car? Maybe you bought a new car. And all of a sudden, you notice everybody else is like, you know what, shoot, I've been needing to buy a new car. <laughs> I, when I bought my wife a, our, our Equinox back 
back in the day, like what, three, four years ago, literally, I, it was like the first car I ever bought. <laughs> and, and it was so funny because all of my friends after seeing it, it's like at first we were like, oh man, I'm so happy for you. And then they look at it, they're like, huh. And get kind of quiet. And then the next day they're like, yeah, I'm actually going to look at buying a car. <laughs> It's like even within our Christian friends, it's like the moment you get something, it just inclines somebody else that they want to get something too. All of a sudden, they don't feel as valuable because they realize that now you have something more than they do. Whenever someone you go to someone's house and they you see that they got a big, huge TV, all of a sudden you're like, man, my TV is really small. You know, it's about time for me to get an upgrade. Phones. You, get, you have your iPhone 6, you've been holding on to, you've been waiting it out. All of a sudden, your, your, your sweetheart or your friend gets an iPhone X, whatever, and you're like, dang, it can do that? I'm like, shoot, I, you know, it is about time for an upgrade, though. And even though you were content with it before, the minute somebody else gets the next thing, you're like, oh, shoot, that, it is about time for me, though. And see, money will trick us into spend something that we don't need just to make us feel more valuable, to make us feel okay. And so many times we use purchases to make us feel happy. Anyone here like going shopping? See, a lot of times when we feel discontent with our lives, when we feel unhappy, we try to go shopping to make ourselves feel better. Whenever you feel like you're out of control in your life, you feel like, Life has been difficult over and over. Maybe you feel like bills have been getting worse and worse. What do you do? You take a credit card to go shopping to make yourself feel better. Why do we like going shopping? Because it feels like the one thing that we get to control. (laughs) We get all these other bills in the mail. We get all these other things that jobs happen. But when you go shopping, it's like, I'm in control. Don't you, one thing I noticed when we moved here, we had a huge financial change in our lives. And... It was so funny because we had so much less money than what we had before we moved here to start this church. And yet I still com- felt compelled to go out and buy something to make myself feel better about not having as much money. Isn't that weird that money tricks us into doing that? That just makes you feel like, well, yeah, that is a lot tougher, but this will make everything better. We, we can't live like that. You, you'll never be satisfied in purchasing things to feel better or to feel happy. If you're not happy, no person and no thing can make you feel happy. That's something that you have to find within yourself between you and God. But we keep, that's why we have so many abusive relationships because that person makes us feel happy. That's why we have so many, uh, so many bad purchases and so many bad credit cards because those purchases make us feel happy. And the truth is, we're, we're just a lot of, there's just a lot of unhappy people. And we try to make ourselves happy with outside circumstances. The only way that we could find true happiness is by living like no one else. And that's finding happiness and contentment in Christ and our identity with him. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Those who love money, this is Ecclesiastes chapter 5, says, Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? That's a bummer, right? <laughs> Ecclesiastes, that's be all bummed out. 
In order to live like no one else, you have to act like no one else. Everybody else is just doing what they're told, but not you. Because you're, you're a smart Christian believer. You don't have to just go and buy something to feel better because you know that that's never going to bring you happiness. Think about what a, a, a credit card is. It's to be able to spend something when you don't have it. And, what, and how do they entice us to get it? Well, in case there's an emergency, you use this card. Don't worry about covering it yourself. This is for those just-in-case moments. But then when you're at the store, you're like, well, shoot, this does. I don't have it right now, but I, do, like, I could get it with this. And I really like this poll here, by the way. I can feel a lot more relaxed in here. <laughs> And everybody, you got to understand that everybody else is broke. There's so many people out there that seem like they have all their finances together when like, and they have a lot of nice stuff. But if you've ever heard the term, the more money you make, the more money you spend people, it's these bad habits that we have in our society that continue and we continue to need to make more and more money because we keep, uh, we keep those, those simple bad habits we live like everybody else, and just because we have more money, nothing changes. Y'all dig what I'm saying? So we got to learn how to budge. We need to budge on this stuff. That's a play on words for budget. We need to learn how to budge out of our bad habits. We need to learn how to budge out of the society's norm. I saw this post the other day, and this, is, this isn't, look, I'm not trying to take any stance here. But I saw this post the other day. That said, it's funny how I can get a student loan for $200,000 right out of high school, but I can't get a $20,000 loan to start a business. And it's weird, right? It's weird how uh, our banks work. But even the idea, if you think that you can only be successful if you go to college, it, you got to understand that we need to learn how to budge out of that mindset. Banks have promoted... Uh, getting student loans because people pay student loans back. Banks love student loans more than anything else. And, and I'm not making a, like a stance here saying that college is evil. Not, not at all. But don't feel like your, your image and your self-worth or your success is guaranteed or only found if you go to college. Y'all dig what I'm saying? It, it, we have to learn how to budge out of our society's thought process. Y'all feel me? And so let me read you all this, this quick story in cha uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 12 through 26. This is Jesus talking about stewardship. He said, a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together 10 of his servants, divided among them 10 pounds of silver. One, uh, one mina was worth about three months wages. Oh, sorry, the... I have extra notes in here for some reason. But anyway, um, he said, invest this money for me while I was gone, while I'm gone. But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we do not want this man to be our king. After he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, master, I invested your money and made 10 times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You have, you've been faithful with little I entrusted to you. So I will, now you will be governor of 10 cities as your reward. 
This next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. He said, well done, the king said. You will be governor of over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your, your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with. Anyone been difficult to deal with? I get told that all the time. Taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then turning to the others standing nearby, the king ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has ten pounds. But master, they said, he already has ten pounds. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. I love this story because it's such a a powerful message about stewardship. And to know that you have the ability to turn whatever you have, no matter if it's a little or a lot, and you have the ability to make it more. Even if you felt like you have nothing this story is showing that, that you have the ability to make it into something more. And there's a saying when it comes to money, if you don't tell it where to go, it will leave. <laughs> you ever notice that? If you don't put certain, you think, oh, well, I'll have this extra hundred bucks, you know, if anything comes up. And you don't tell it to go to a certain bill or you don't even tell it to go to the same. You're like, you just want it to wait there to, to, as like a cushion. And all of a sudden, before you know it, 50 bucks goes here, 20 bucks goes there. And by the end of the week, you're like, well, shoot, like it, now I don't have that $100. And when you actually need it, you're like, oh, man, I already spent it on this and that. If you don't tell money where to go, it will leave. And when it comes to being a good steward, we are stewards of what God allows us to have. And when we are faithful with little, we can be trusted with much. When thinking about money being a tool, when we use it well, we can focus even our prayers on those around us rather than simply asking for help all the time. If you've ever uh, in your prayer life been asking about money, like, God, I need help with money. I need help with my finances. Think about all the time that we've prayed like that, myself included, that if we were better stewards with the money that we have, no matter how little it was, that we, we could even focus our prayers on, on, better, on better things. About prayers on, on our family members being healed. Prayer, prayers on our family members or friends being saved or coming to church. Y'all dig what I'm saying? We can, our prayers would be more edifying rather than just filled with our own worries. But what does it take? It takes us being better stewards of the money that we do have. Because if we can't handle the, the money, the little amount that we have now, how are we going to be able to handle it later on? I remember one time... Uh, I was trying to get uh, finances together and I was trying to get uh, more finances for the church to do um, just so that we would be able to have more things or do more things when we need it. And someone asked me, um, a mentor in my life said, well, uh, if someone gave you $10,000, what would you do with it? And I was like, shoot, I'd feel like <laughs> I'd feel better. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't know how to, how, what to do with it. If someone gave you a million dollars, what would you do? Someone gave you a hundred thousand and one thousand. What would you do with it? And most of the time, our first thoughts is like, "Well, I'll pay all my bills that are, I'm, I'm late on." But see that how how can we use it as a tool rather than just a means of an end? Y'all dig what I'm saying? We we have to learn how to be better stewards because 
when, when, when we really ask ourselves, do you feel confident in, uh, in, enough to say, I know exactly what to do if I got $10,000 today to where I wouldn't just run out of it. And see, we, we need to work on our stewardship to be better because not only will, will we feel more secure when we get better on our stewardship, well, our prayers will be more effective, but even with the thought of generosity, even generosity is a consistent tone throughout the Bible that God loves a cheerful giver. That not, and I'm not talking about to the church. I'm talking about generous in all things. That generosity is an important Christian aspect. But you guys know just as much as I do, it's a lot harder to be generous when you're strapped. And, and even to be more effective with, with giving and being generous, the only way we could really do that is if we have our money on lockdown. So we're, we're, we're actually planning our generosity rather than just going, feeling like, you know, a, like our hearts like, oh man, I, I really want to give, but I can't. We actually could plan things out. I mean, it, you know how much an, an insignificant amount of money it takes to start a church in, in a third world country? There, there's times where uh, it costs less to start a church in a third world country than it does to buy a flat screen TV. It's crazy to think about. The only way we could do that is if we get better at our stewardship. If we, the, we'll naturally be able to plan more uh, better intentional generosity rather than just giving to somebody on the street 20 bucks here and there. We can actually use that money to really make a difference in, in the world if we have financial peace within ourselves. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so I know that, I know that a lot of you guys already have a, uh, your own systems of money. I'm going to just throw this out there for anybody that might be able to use this, okay? So you just eat the meat and spit out the bones, all right? The, when it comes to budgeting, I have a lot of college students that usually ask me how to budget. Um, but there's also a lot of adults that just like, we just kind of figured it out as we go, right? <laughs> We just found out an automatic deposit, <laughs> just automatic deposit and automatic payment. So it all just works out somehow. So when it comes to budgeting, I'm going to just go over this briefly. The idea of budgeting is writing out your income and your out, uh, your in and out when it comes to money. There, there's a term called zero based budgeting, and it's where you literally write out um, all of your bills and add it all up. And it, 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 I'm a personally a spreadsheet guy. There, if you've ever heard of Dave Ramsey, he has some really excellent stuff on how to budget, how to get. He even has this class called Financial Peace University. We might do it sometime here. But it, it's uh, one thing he says is that when it comes to a, a relationship, a, a couple, that there's always one nerd and then there's one free spirit. <laughs> and that with that, there's always one saver and one spender. I'm the nerd. I love putting everything in a budget. I love writing it out. I like putting it in a spreadsheet. And my wife is like, not like that at all. Um, but I'm also the spender and she's the saver. And so especially when we were in uh, our old town, uh, we were making a, a great money. And all of a sudden, I'd, like when it came to like spending something like, you know, simple, like, well, we should get uh, we should buy a t- uh, our tires now while we have money rather than later. And I was like, no, like we, we don't have the money to just go and do that right now. But when all of a sudden all of, I, I realized that some uh, how cool a sound bar was, 
was like, well, shoot, I, I can move things around. I, I could take from this and that. And I, it'll all work out. We won't even feel it, baby. And, and Laura is the one that's like, like, dude. How can, and she'll even make me feel bad. Like, how is it that we couldn't spend it the other day, but now all of a sudden we can spend it? Like, no, I was different then. Like, th- things have changed. Like, some changes have transpired. <laughs> but anyway, uh, she's the saver. I'm the spender. And it really helps when you establish who's, who's what in a relationship. Because then you can know who to trust with the money. <laughs> but when it comes to making a zero-based budget, really, write it, either write it down or put it in a spreadsheet. On one end, you write all of your bills. Label them how much they actually cost. Get as exact as you can. And if you're going to round to something, round up instead of rounding down. Okay? It'd rather, it, you'd rather have uh, a over-budgeted rather than under-budgeted. So you, you add it all up. You add, and at the, end, at the very bottom, you should have your running total. Your running total of bills. Then, on the other side, you need to put your income. And put your actual weeks Put like week one, week two, week three, week four, and put how much income you're having each of those weeks. And then you can start correlating which bills are due when so that on the week you can write out minus, say week one is, uh, I'm going to just say that, uh, speak prophetically here, $5,000, right? <laughs> week one. Someone's like $500, <laughs> $300. Week one, X amount of money minus and you're putting minus this bill, minus this bill amount, minus that bill amount. And the idea is you're paying all the bills to where it's zero. Now keep in mind, you're even, you're even planning out how much you spend on groceries. When it was just me and my wife before we increased our family, uh, we were spending like 100 bucks a week when it came to groceries. Now for all of our family, as big as it is, it's like 200 bucks a week on groceries. And so you, you have to really start, and if you don't have an idea of how much you're spending on groceries, you, know, you need to start just paying attention. Go to the store and start using a calculator and, and pay attention to those things so that way you can budget it rather than just guessing. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And the idea is to budget everything for each week and all the way down to the month to where you have a zero at the end. So now you might be thinking, well, what... It, what if uh, we have money left over? What do we do with that? That's when you can actually designate an emergency fund. Emergency funds are to replace your credit cards. Someone say, woohoo. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, if you don't have an emergency fund right now, the first thing you need to do is start saving as fast as you can a $1,000, uh, even in a different checking account or just save it cash in an envelope at home. The reason that you want a $1,000 emergency fund to start with, to where even before you start trying to pay off your debts, is you want an emergency fund so that you don't have to continue to increase your debt when an emergency actually happens. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Most common emergencies is a car, a car repair. And so you, being able to imagine instead of having to charge a credit card, you're actually paying out of your own money, paying it off, and you're not getting in more in debt. And so that's what that emergency fund is for. The first thing that you need to do is get $1,000 in that emergency fund. Then you want to start gradually building it up to where you have three to six months of your bills stored up in that emergency fund. It takes time, of course, 
but you want to, your first goal is 1,000, then your next goal is 2,000, 3,000. You want to get it to where you have an actual cushion as an emergency fund, and then you start putting stuff into a savings. The emergency fund isn't necessarily your savings. It's for emergencies. Y'all dig what I'm saying? That way, you're starting to rely more on yourself instead of credit. Now, when it comes to um, the, the other part of zero-based budgeting, it, the, the number one thing is telling your money where to go. Every dollar. Because if not, you're just already going to know it's going to leave. Just have that in your mindset that if I don't budget this by the end of the month, it's going to go somewhere where I didn't, I didn't plan. Y'all dig what I'm saying? So, again, planning and saving, talking about budgets, the first thing you want to do is budget everything down to zero base. Then you want to make an emergency fund. Start with $1,000 and go from there. Then, after you at least have $1,000 in an emergency fund, you can start paying your debts. You start paying down your debts. Start paying extra on the principles so that you can start seeing those things lower and lower. Start with... It's called a debt snowball. Start with your lowest debt first. Because, and it doesn't make sense at first because you're like, well, this payment's bigger. I want to get rid of this big payment first. You want to start with the smaller debts first because say you, you have a, a piddly little credit card that you have $1,000 on. But you also have a car payment that's like $400, but it's $10,000 left. Well, the reason that you want to pay this $25 payment down uh, to w- where this $1,000 is obliterated is because now you can put even that monthly $25 payment towards the $400 payment. So you're, you're always, you're increasing your income so that you can pay off your debts strategically. And so the more smaller debts you pay, the more money you have available to pay the bigger debts. And you'll be able to get rid of those smaller debts a lot faster than you'll get rid of the bigger debts. Y'all feel what I'm saying on that? And so... When it comes to paying off debts, remember to pay yourself first before you pay your debts. If you, if it, when it comes to, uh, sometimes you think, man, I, well, I want to get rid of this debt right away. I'll pay my debt first before I pay my emergency fund, before I pay my savings. You don't want to do that because an emergency is going to happen and you're going to just have to increase your debt again. The first thing you want to do is get yourself independent of those credit cards. Y'all feel me? So when it comes to your future, we're talking about trusting sources. I was just real quick talk about budgeting. I know I got a lot of accountants here that was like probably looking at me like that is so uh, uh, caveman style. <laughs> um, but talking about moving on from this practical budgeting system, talking about trusting sources. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28, it says, Trust in your money and down you go, but the godly will flourish like leaves in spring. So the Bible consistently tells us that money is fleeting. That the, if we put our trust in money, we're, we're, it's going to mess us up. And I, wanna, I want us to talk about some, some faulty places to put our trust. Okay, some faulty places to put our trust. The number one trust that we, we shouldn't put our trust into is money. All right. God is God is the ultimate provider. God is God is our provider. Even when it comes to the job that you have that makes the money, God gave you that job in the first place. And so God made a lot of us have jobs that we know we're not qualified for that. We really got like lucky that we got. And 
you got to know that God made that way for you. And so at the end of the day, always trust in God before you put your trust in money. Can I share a quick story with you guys? I, I, I used to be, uh, when I lived in Del Rio, I, I was really satisfied with the job I had. Well, I was not satisfied with the job I had, but I was satisfied with the money I made from the job. And I was, I was making more than I ever made uh, be, uh, at any other job. And, and I, I, I was like a stickler when it came to a budget. And when we, even when we uh, felt God speak to us about moving here to start this church... Um, I made a budget plan to save like X amount of money so that we had so that we could come here prepared and comfortable. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Like any rational person. And I really felt like God was speaking to me over and over. And I was really stifling the Holy Spirit, trying not to listen. And I really felt like the, God kept telling me like that I needed to instead of uh, I needed to give more instead of save more. It was very counterintuitive. And so the more that I ended up giving the, I ended up taking on other jobs to try to compensate the money that I was giving. But the more money that I would make, the more I felt compelled to give. And at the end of the day, God really taught me a valuable lesson because I realized that, that God was, was teaching me to trust in him instead of my budget. To put my trust in him instead of money. And that even while I was, the time there, we ended up, uh, when, when we first started saving, God told us to double our giving. Now, I'm not, telling, I'm not telling this story as a ruse to, to, to tell you guys to feel this way or another, not to save. That's not what I'm saying. But at, for me, I realized when I, when I first started uh, giving more and more and I was freaking out over my budget, I realized how much more I trusted in money than I did in God. And there's a day that I really felt like God, again, we were about to make like a big spiritual move. And God was preparing me even then. If I didn't do that stuff then, I would have been an emotional roller coaster wreck uh, when we moved here because I would have not been strong enough to handle the different changes in our lives here. And so it really helped prepare me then to now. But one thing that I felt like God ministered to me is that, uh, and again, this is something specific to me in our situation, not to you. But I felt like God spoke to me that every dollar that I was going to try to earn on my own, that God was, is going to be one less dollar that he was going to give me by grace. And that he's really uh, compelling me to trust in him solely in my finances to where I was to our future, to where even the, the day that we were moving, uh, the day that we moved to San Antonio, the week of we had like no money at all. Uh, but I was like, I already put on the calendar that we were moving this day to move to San Antonio to start a church. Worst strategy to ever start a church, by the way. And, and uh, the, the, week of, the, the week that we were moving here, we, we had people give us thousands of dollars unexpectedly. The night before we were going to move, the, one of my friends that was helping me load the truck, the same age as me, not more better off than I was. And he's, we're loading the truck, and he says, hey, man, can I talk to you real quick? And I was like, yeah, I guess so. So we go to a closet <laughs> to get some privacy. And he's like, hey, man, um, well, look, God just told me to give you this. Pulls out this wad of cash and, and gave us $1,000 before we were about to like leave literally less than 12 hours later. And God showed me how much more I can trust in him rather than myself, rather than in money. And so... That's a preface to everything that we're going to talk about right now, that we need to trust in God instead of the things of this world. Keep in mind, that I'm not telling anybody here that that is what God is telling you. 
You need to hear God personally tell you that. It took me a lot of prayer to really feel like I was satisfied, like God's telling me this. So that is not what I'm not telling you. That's what God's telling you. The Bible also says that you need that we need to work hard, that there's even some scripture that says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat at the church. <laughs> like, and so do not take this as an idea like, well, I could just quit my job and just trust the Lord. That's not what I'm saying at all. This is a very specific scenario. OK, y'all feel me on that? Yes. All right, good, because I, I don't want to be responsible for any bad decisions. Um, so when it comes to trusting sources, some some changes that we need to make is we need to stop trusting in credit. We need to stop trusting in credit. We, we have this idea that credit can get us anything. And in a sense, it can help us get things that we normally couldn't get when we're not pre- as prepared as we should be. But the, the idea that we, if uh, you can get anything if you just have credit is not, is not a good place to put your trust. We have to start cutting the credits. Start cutting the credits so that we can cut our pride. Because a lot of times, just like what I was sharing earlier... We use credit to make ourselves feel better about our self-image. We have good credit makes us feel like we're good people, like we have a, a good grasp on reality or we have a good grasp on life when we have good credit. And the truth is, even with good credit, it's not going to be able to be your safe haven. And the moment that a tragedy happens and, and you lose all your credit, well, all your trust goes down the drain too. And I, I know plenty of people that that tell me I worked years to get my credit good and just something happens and their credit goes right back to 300. And it's, it's like, it's so, it's so much more a hit to the gut when all your trust is in that credit. And there's so many people that, that, that they lose their good credit and they feel like they can't do anything in the world anymore. I can't even get an apartment if I don't have good credit. It's just, it's not always the case. There's ways to get around even when you have bad credit. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And it's better to save and pay with good stewardship than to hope and pray after poor stewardship. A lot of times we use credit to get things that we can't afford in order to, to get it right away rather than simply saving for it. There's a lot, of, uh, a lot of times where we buy a brand new car when we simply can't afford a new car. And we just think, well, I, I just have a monthly payment, so it's okay. But when a monthly payment is over six years, you do not know what's going to happen over six years. It's better to, to pay at least 50% of the car and get a used car if, if you can't afford a brand new one. Y'all dig what I'm saying? We, we can't just – I worked at a car dealership before, and I almost felt sick to my stomach when people would come. They wouldn't even ask me how much the car was. They just said how much down and how much a month. And – I knew that the car that they were buying was worth far much less than they were paying, but because they weren't willing to pay for the actual vehicle in cash or pay, uh, they, they didn't have the money or whatever, they were willing to pay three times more that car was worth, five times more than the car was actually worth because they could handle the monthly payments. And in the grand scheme of things, they were literally paying for a, a brand new car, uh, that was, that was uh, in reality, was a crappy used car that was going to give them problems. But all they care about is how much down and how much a month. And for us, remember, we're living like no one else. We don't want to use credit like that. We want to know actually how much we're paying. What's the total price? 
Can I really afford that? Is this something that I can still feel comfortable paying over months and months and months and years and years? Or is this something that I'm going to dread after the first two years of paying it? Y'all dig what I'm saying? Don't feel obligation to put your name down for someone else when it comes to credit. If you, it, the, I remember when I, shortly after I became a Christian, I went to a family funeral and I had somebody message me a couple months later and they knew I was like a Christian and a nice person and all that now. They're like, hey man, um, I'm really trying to get my life together. Can you be a co-signer on, on a car for me to buy? I was 18 at the time. I, I don't even think I had credit at the time. Well, I had credit because I had a family member get a credit card in my name when I was 16. But... <laughs> I didn't have like good credit or anything, but he was like so ready to ask me. And it, at, at the end of the day, it was only going to put a negative impact on my credit. And, and he was willing to use me to get what he wanted. And so the Bible talks. Uh, so if if you haven't read through the book of Proverbs, read Proverbs, because it talks about how it's not a wise decision to be so quick to put up security for somebody else. To not be, don't be so quick to be a co-signer for somebody else to get something on credit. Because, I, I mean, I don't know y'all's experiences, but every time I did that, a couple months later, I have those people calling me like crazy. Because that person didn't make a payment. I'm not saying anybody that you, you're trying to help is, is going to be like that. But if you've ever experienced that, most of the times we're, we're getting called from, from Rent-A-Center or errands or, you know, these dealerships. And there's a time where like they're literally calling me every day. And I was like, dude, I haven't even talked to that person in two years. Like, I don't know where they are. And you do not have to feel obligated to put your name down for somebody else. It, you're not a bad Christian if you choose not to do that. Y'all dig what I'm saying? I just want to put that out there for uh, ending on credit. The other, the other thing that we can't put, the, the other things that we can't put our trust into is... <laughs> Uh, is our companies. There's people that, so many people have taken jobs that pay less with the thought of the benefits being better. So uh, maybe you've done that. You know somebody that done it, that idea of, well, this job pays less, but the, the insurance is better. And I, I want you to think about that concept. You, you should never put your trust in a company for your, for your future rather than yourself. The, the whole idea about stewardship is getting as much control and independence of your finances to where you're not at the whims of somebody else. Even a company has changes. If you Imagine if you work at a company for three years. You chose a company that had less pay but better benefits, and you worked there for three years. And say out of those three years, you, you made, uh, say, $5,000 or even $10,000 less over the course of three years. But the insurance was better. And say at the end of the three years, you never had an emergency hospital visit. Most of the deductibles are still $1,500. So by the end of the year, people still end up paying $1,500. And it takes, you, you have to have like a chronic illness to really kick into the insurance. Say if nothing happens to you for those three years, and all of a sudden three years go by, they get a new CEO, and the insurance is no longer as good as it was. And so the reason that you took that job was for the insurance. Now the insurance changes. And now the other company that would have paid you better is still the same. But you went with the lesser because of the benefits. And at the end of the day, the amount of money that you would have made more at the other company, you could have paid out of pocket for any, ins 
for any medical bills anyway and still had money left over. And so it's just a false concept that we have thinking that the benefits are better than cash itself. Cash is key. You you can do so much more if you just have cash in hand. And so, uh, again, never put your trust in a company and, and their benefits program or anything like that. Really, at the end of the day, Cash is better to have than any kind of insurance package, any kind of uh, uh, future end game because companies change. Does that make sense? It's always better to have cash in hand. Um, so another thing, just like I said, you, you should never choose incentives over actual money. Remember, money is the tool. We, insurance is not a tool. It's a false, like this false assurance that we have when we, we trust it. Money is a tool, not the incentive. Always work to make yourself independent and control of your own money. And even when it comes to, uh, we talked about companies, even when it comes to government assistance. So let me make it clear that I'm not making any political stance here. I was raised on food stamps. Even when we have our, uh, I'll be extra transparent. When we had all the kids uh, move in with us, (laughs) they wave at me in the back. We shoot, we had to get on food stamps again. And for me, government, I never wanted to be on government assistance again. I never wanted to after once I became my own person and independent of my family, my parents, I, I never wanted to go back to being on that. But I had to still learn a valuable lesson that pride doesn't feed my family. (laughs) And so the difference between that I'm trying to make here is that having government assistance is is more than okay. It's great. But we should we we need to keep in mind that we should keep in our minds that it's an assistance that we can't turn it into a reliance. Y'all dig what I'm saying? That government assistance, because, again, we want to work to be independent when it comes to our money. Because only we can control our money in the future. And so as, a, as an illustration, let me give you an example. Our president, whether you like him or not, presidents make different rules. And so even like with the government shutdown that happened, something that we could not control or predict, it caused a lot of people to not even get their food stamps for the month or not be able to use their normal government assistance programs. In the future, we'll have a different president that might have different rules that they instill. It's something that like we just cannot predict. And so when we put all of our reliance on the government, which just like a company is subject to change in the future, whenever it happens, we're going to be left out to dry. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And that's why, again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with government assistance. I'm on it. Okay. (laughs) But there's a, we should always be working to be independent because we can't control what the government does in the future. Y'all feel me? Does that all make sense? The main idea when it comes to trusting sources is that we should always be working to be independent of our finances and our future. And at the end of the day, when it comes to what you're doing, do not choose a job that uh, just because of the, the benefits and all that, but also choose a job that you love. Don't you, don't you hate working at a job that you just despise? I told you guys at the beginning that I've been working for Uber and Lyft. I picked up this girl from her job and I said, hey, how was your day? And she's like, I effing hated it. <laughs> I'm miserable here. I was like, dang. <laughs> it's like, why don't, why don't you just leave? She's like, I, I don't know. I just can't. And 
you know, we're, we get stuck in these horrible jobs sometimes because we're, we're too afraid to go somewhere else. But you, you should love what you do or uh, uh, love your work or love what you're working for. You know, we'll never find that happiness in our jobs, but there, there's a type of purpose that comes from it, whether it's at the job itself or what you're working for that, that you can find that contentment in. And this, this last part is our ultimate source needs to be God. We need to put our ultimate trust in him because everything comes from God. Jobs, gifts, money itself. He is the ultimate source in where we should put our trust. And so many times we, we always assume the negative about our future rather than the positive. Fear is the, the belief of things that might happen. Well, that's the same exact thing of faith, as faith. Faith is a belief of things that might happen. And we need, to, we need to start having our hope and trust in God rather than for the world to just kick us as a, as a punching bag. And we, we need a, we, the only way that we could really do that is, is when we know that God cares. That God cares about you. That he doesn't want you to, to be in poverty. That he doesn't want you to suffer. And we, we need to just always put our hope in God. That doesn't mean that we, we don't have to work we still need to work, but our hope, our hope should be in God. And we can't use our hope as an excuse not to work. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Let me read y'all this last, this last verse. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 26, uh, 26, it says, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. This is Jesus talking. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in the barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? At the end of the day, it, we're talking about money, but at the end of the day, does, we're, our bodies are more, more for this world, it are, are more than just for food and clothing. Our, our lives are more than just for what we feel. It, it's, it's for the kingdom of God. It's for others. There's so much more to life than money. Y'all dig what I'm saying? In Matthew chapter 6, 26, verse 6 through 11 says, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with an alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of, his, of this, replied, Why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You'll always have the poor among you, but you'll not always have me. I wanted to end on this verse because we, we get so caught up with the pursuit of money. Even in church, we get so caught up with, with our uh, generosity. I mean, don't you, don't you just feel weird when church just turns all about money? as we start this series about money. <laughs> it's because inwardly we know that there's something so much more valuable. And that's knowing Jesus himself. Even Jesus is saying, hey, I, I know this money is an issue. The disciples, they're worried about people not having money. That's a righteous thing, right? But he's saying, hey, I know that that's meaningful and all that. But I'm more important than that. A relationship with me is more important than that. Just my presence is more important than any, anything that you may need or not need. 
And so with all that being said, I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want you to think about this idea with, with worry and money. So often, we get so caught up in the pettiness of life, of striving and working to get this and that. And at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. And if you're here today and, and at some point you realize during this message that your focus has been so in other things that you forgot about Jesus himself. You've been so distracted. And maybe here today you need to make a decision to put your trust into God alone. You want to put your trust in Jesus today. With every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. So I want you to repeat this prayer after me. If you rose your hand or if you wanted to, I want you also to pray it as a reaffirmation of your faith. If you've already put your trust in Christ. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to put my trust in you. You are my only provider. You are my hope. I believe that you died for me on the cross and that you rose from the dead. Be the Lord of my life and the Savior to my soul. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my past. And I want to be steadfast in my hope and pursuit in you. Help me to understand your love. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.